I tell you, we get her a white handkerchief and she can replace Vestal Goodman. I guarantee you, bless God. Oh, ah, what a blessing to be here and to be a part of this service. It's so always great to just gather together with God's people. I was looking a while ago, so much to be thankful for. These children were just marching out and, and uh, you know, we, we hear about all the bad young people. And I'm looking at a couple of them, but, but <laughs> we hear about all the bad ones. Amen. But I would tell you, God has blessed us with a tremendous group of young people that love God. Many of them got up and walked out with the children. They take turns in children's church. And, and then here, boy, just the accolades. Guys, hang in there. Keep going. Uh, you're a blessing to us. I promise. Turn, if you would, in the book of Colossians. We're in the book of Colossians on Sunday morning. We finished the first eight verses of chapter one last Sunday. Don't forget, if you've got the little app, I can't tell whether you're on the phone on Facebook or whether you're on the app. So you can follow along on the app and uh, get all the notes for this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse nine. And uh, it's not going to be very long. I think uh, next, next Wednesday, Becky and I will take out and we are going to try to see if our marriage can withstand sleeping on a single bunk bed on a train. And uh, uh, it ought to be a hoot. I'll just tell you that right now. It ought to be a hoot. Uh, but we're excited about it. We don't have any better sense. We're excited about it. But I, I was reading about all the different things we're going to be seeing. One of the things that we're going to be seeing on that train is the redwood trees. Man, do you know some of those things? They, they average like 300 feet. The tallest one, 379 feet, that's a 40-story building. 40-story building. I'm thinking, man, and some of you have been out there where you drove cars through them and all of that. I mean, they're just gigantic. But can you imagine a redwood tree saying, I, I just soon to remain a little bush. I mean, that thing, it, it got planted and, and it began to grow. Say it grew up to about 15 feet high. I mean, it's a beautiful bush. It had, it's great. And the tree just said, you know what? I, I'm satisfied where I am. I'm happy where I am. I'm just going to stay a 15-foot redwood bush. You say, well, that's crazy. Redwood trees are made to grow tall and gigantic. That would be crazy. Well, it just sits there year after year and chooses not to grow. Even though God has nourished it and fed it and it can grow and it can stretch and it can touch the sky. And you look at that tree and you say, listen, God designed you to grow. God designed you to reach newer heights. Could I tell you that fits for you as a child of God this morning? Some of you sitting at a bush when you should have been growing as a tree. God didn't design you to sit as a bush the rest of your life. God's got a plan for your life. He wants you to grow. To increase. And the book of Colossians tells us that this morning. Look at Colossians 1, verse 9. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all sufficient word? For this cause, verse 9, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, 
giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Father, thank you this morning how we have been just tremendously touched and drawn into your very presence. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to let your Holy Spirit continue to deal with each one of us. We come to the most important part of this service, the sharing of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that it will speak with our hearts and our minds, burn deep within us, and may we be willing to say, yes, Lord Jesus, to whatever you're asking us to do. I pray people would not be thinking about where they're going to eat lunch. They're not thinking about how soon they're going to get out of here or what their kids are doing or if they can gather up their stuff. But I pray, Lord Jesus, our hearts would be in tune with you and that you would speak to every one of us in this room today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul, of course, was a great teacher and preacher, but Paul also was a great prayer warrior. I wish I had time to just go through some of the great prayers that Paul prayed and the content of those prayers. He was persistent. He said here in, uh, in these uh, scriptures we just read, he said, we do not cease to praise, uh, pray for you. In other words, it was a persistent praying. He continually prayed over and over. It wasn't a one-time deal and he forgot it. He continually, it was a heartfelt prayer. You could feel his heartbeat, the love of other people. Paul's not praying for himself. He's in prison when he wrote this. He's not considering himself. He's praying for others. It's a heartfelt prayer. And it's also in agreement. Matthew says, if two or three agree on anything, you ask what you will according to the will of God, and it'll be given unto you. Paul is not saying, I'm praying for you. Paul is saying, I've agreed with others. We're praying for you. We're ceaselessly praying for you. And I pray to God that our church would be that kind of church. That not only would we join hands, but we would join hearts. That we would stand together in faith. And, and, but we're not looking at the prayer life this morning. I want to look at the content of what he's asking. Because, see, the Colossians had had some false teachers come through. Imagine that. They had had some teachers that came through and said, you just hug a tree, go home, kiss your dog on the lips, and everything's great. And you don't have to worry about anything else. Uh, you know, I, I, I got so tickled this week. I've, I've been praying about all of this, just the country and all. And someone, I, I, I don't know, it just clicked to me. All these people are so worried about uh, these uh, children of the, of the uh, illegal aliens. They're worried about the children. And I am too. Now listen, don't you leave here and say I'm not. Don't you do that. I, I just find it ironic that those who are making the most noise about the, uh, those kids are the very ones who are for murdering our babies. I, I find that just ironic. That you can walk over the lives of 50 million babies in America and be concerned about another baby. Hmm, I, I don't, I'm not going to charge you for that. I just want to throw that in here. Colossians teaches us that we're complete in Jesus. Remember last week they were in Colossae, but they were also in Christ. We're in Longview, but we're also in Christ. And so we've got dual citizenship. This world's not our home. We're just here visiting for a short time. Now, what I, what I want you to see quickly this morning is the assets. And boy, what a song service. Wow, I was thinking that heaven came down, the words of that song. Every one of those songs just fit this sermon perfectly. 
And uh, I, man, I just praise God for that. That's, that's the Lord. We don't meet and decide any of that. He prays, I pray, we get together. I mean, this is the first time we've been together. And I'm telling you, God can work things out, amen? I want you to understand the assets you have as a Christian and as a disciple, and it's right here for us. Number one, your first asset is insight. Verse 9 says that for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, cease not to pray, desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, the knowledge is supernatural. The wisdom is supernatural. The understanding is supernatural. Wisdom is the power of spiritual perception. It's being able to come to grips with what the meaning of God's word is. That's wisdom. Now, knowledge is knowing how you can apply it to your life. But that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Both of those are supernatural. The Bible teaches us by nature we can't do that. John 3 says that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So the natural man cannot understand the spiritual things of God. It doesn't make any sense to him. But when you get saved, when you receive Jesus as your personal Savior, you gain the capacity and the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding to know the will of God, to apply the will of God, and to understand this book. The, the Bible's different from all other books. There are many other inspirational books. They're good books, inspirational. But I want to tell you, the Bible's more than an inspirational book. It's an inspired book. The Holy Spirit wrote that book. So see, it's not about my IQ or your IQ. It's not about your education. It's about our willingness to die to ourselves and let Christ come in, get me on the cross, get Jesus on the throne, and get filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you get the mind of Christ. You get, you get constantly uh, connection with Jesus, and you have the mind to apply it. Getting saved is only the beginning. That's the root of the redwood tree. That's where you start. That's the beginning. But that's not the end. That's not where you stop. You understand the truth. You know the truth. And apply the truth. Another asset we have, number two, is purpose. Verse 10, uh, he said that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, there are four words there that just pop out to me, and I want to just give them to you. The first one is walk. Anytime you see the word walk in the New Testament, it's referring to the behavior of a Christian. We're walking. It, it's, it's emotion. It's action. It's intent. With a destination in view, with goals, with direction, and with progress. See, we're to be walking in the will of God. We're to be walking with his spiritual goals in our mind, with a destination, moving on with matern, uh, maturity. So we're to walk. And then he said that word worthy, walk worthy. Now, worthy in the Greek has the same meaning as this. It means give the same weight to. What he's saying here is walk worthy. In other words, give the same weight to your walk and actions as you do your profession. Make sure you're not a hypocrite. Don't you be professing something over here and then walking differently over here. You're to walk worthy of it. You're to walk with the same weight on your actions as you do your profession. I profess Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Does my walk measure up to that? That's what he's saying here. We're to copy Christ and walk worthy and then pleasing, pleasing, fully pleasing. Now, 
Some of you have come to a place where you can't go any further in the Christian life. I mean, I just want to shoot straight with you this morning. You can't go any further. Every one of these are in line with each other. Your, your behavior is to have a purpose. Your purpose is to be in Jesus Christ. And then you're to walk pleasing. You see, the reason you're stuck where you are is because you spent your entire life trying to please somebody else. Maybe it's been a peer. Maybe it's been someone you work with and you're trying to get their approval and you're like a little yapping puppy dog over here. Just show me a little attention. Show me. I got one every morning. If you don't get up and speak to him, he'll follow you and jump all over the house until you speak to him. When you say, good morning, governor, he's all right. And then he, he goes on his way. But I will tell you, some of you have been yapping around and you're trying to get somebody's approval. Some of you have lived with somebody who has beat you down who has dogged you, reminded you of your faults and failures that you don't measure up. They've dogged your physical appearance. They've dogged your job. They've dogged your IQ. They've dogged everything about your life, run you down, put you down. You've lived in the same home with somebody like that. And let me just tell you, anybody who has to tear somebody down to build themselves up, they're the person who's the squirt. It's not the other person. It's them. When you have to tear somebody else down to build yourself up, you're the squirt. You can just go ahead and quote me on that. When you're confident in Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're, you're not trying to make somebody else feel bad. Listen, when you're confident in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, if you think you offended somebody, you're the first one to be at the altar asking forgiveness. You're the first one to say, look, I wouldn't have done anything to hurt you. I'm sorry about that. Some of you are victims of people putting your, your down. And I want to tell you, you're 50 years old, still trying to please your mama. Good grief. Maybe it's a cranky husband. I would have given a good time to poke those ribs there. Maybe it's a nagging wife. Mm. God forbid. I don't understand why people are trying to please their kids. But, but they are trying to please their kids. If I was a truck driver, I'd explain this part of the verse from a truck driver's perspective. If I was a plumber, I'd explain it from a plumber's perspective. If I was a teacher, I'd explain it from a teacher's. But you see, I'm a preacher. And I want to explain this to you from a preacher's perspective. I, I've, been, uh, I've been in the ministry since 1971. Teaching, preaching, singing, doing anything God called me to do since 1971. And I want to tell you, I've learned something and I want to show it to you this morning from experience. 46, 40, going on 47 years, this is how I work this thing out. 46 years, and I want to show you the lesson this morning. Now, here it is. I've learned this from being in church. Are you ready? I mean, after 46 years, I've learned one thing about experience that I want to show you this morning. Are you really ready for it? Because you probably missed this. You have probably not understood this. But in my 46 years as a pastor, I want you to understand something. You cannot please everybody. Huh? I just want you to know that. You can't please everybody. I tried the first six weeks of my first pastorate, and then I gave it up. You can't please everybody. Let me tell you what will make you free. There's only one person to please in verse 10 talks about it, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. 
There's only one person in this room today that you need to please. When it comes time to the invitation time, I don't care what your wife said about you. I don't care what your neighbor said about you. I'm telling you, when it comes to the invitation time, there's one person you need to please, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's already told you you need to be saved, you ought to be the first one down this aisle this morning to be saved. If he's already said, this is the church I want you to be, I don't care how bad the preaching is, the music's good, then you ought to be the first one down this aisle to join this church this morning. It doesn't make any difference. You see, every church wants to buy a new church van. We dream about that every time we go on a trip. You got problems, though, when you buy a church van. Because you see, our senior adults, God love them. Now, you can say anything about anybody you want to as long as you say God love them. Our senior adults buy a new church van and they say, hey, we're the ones really that paid most of the money for it. And that's true. Let's gut that thing. We've all got sciatica. And let's put in some reclining, vibrating seats. (laughs) So that when we go on a trip, we can be comfortable. And I mean, you want to bless the senior adults, but then the students come along and they say, oh no, we want to reach young people. We got to get some hydraulics on that thing with some blue lights underneath it where it'll go up and down at every intersection, just up and down. You know, we, 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 that's what kind of van we want. And then we got some good old boys up here in the balcony. And they'll say, let me get the water tobacco out of my mouth, preacher. I'll pay for the lift kit and we'll put some big tires on that thing. And we'll put a dog box on the back of it. And we'll use it in the men's ministry. You can't please everybody. You can't do that. So there's only one person to please, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if the other people don't like it, they can spend the rest of their life looking like they were weaned on dill pickle juice. It don't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. You see, the day I got free, I want to tell you, I'll be honest with you, the day I got free was when I determined that I don't have to please the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't have to please the Southern Baptist of Texas. I don't have to please our association. I don't have to please the Kiwanis Club or the Optimist Club or the Democrats or the Republicans or the young folk or old folk, tall folk, short folk, athletic folk, non-athletic folk. I don't have to please the Texas fans. Would to God they'd have won that game. I don't have to please the A&M fans. I don't have to please the Cowboy fans, the Texans fans, the Ranger fans, the Astro fans. I don't have to please anybody but God. And if you'll come to that place, you'll be set free. He's the only one you've got to please. Then that fourth word that's in that verse 10 is the word fruitful. People say, oh, you've got to win so many souls. You've got to do this. You've got to start so many churches. Let me tell you what fruit in the life of a Christian is. That is God-produced results. That's what fruit is. It comes in different forms. If I'm walking with a purpose, I'm walking worthy, I'm focused on not pleasing man, but on pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm walking in his will, he's on the throne, he begins to produce fruit. I was at a luncheon for pastors Friday, and they were talking about churches need revival. Every church needs revival. And they said, you know, it looks like God just continually blesses you. And I said, hey, I don't know what it is. It ain't me. Somebody in our church is a prayer warrior. I'm not sure who it is. Bless God, I hope they never die. 
because God has blessed this church tremendously. But, but church growth is a simple principle. If something's alive, it'll grow. If it's not alive, I mean, you got a tree out here that's dead, you water that thing three times a day if you want to. You put all the fertilizer on it you want to. You sit out there. You anoint it with oil. You, you do whatever you want to do. You pray over it. You, see, you talk to it. You hug it. You do. That thing's dead. It's not going to produce any fruit. The way to produce fruit is to be alive in Jesus. That's how you get the fruit. Now let me give you this third asset here real quickly here. Is of a disciple is the mindset of Christ. I don't care how negative your brain is or how pessimistic your brain is. My mama used to always tell me, because I'd get on her. Uh, my brother's here. She, he knows that she would always speak her mind. And I mean, you know, sometimes she didn't have enough mind to speak, but she'd still speak it. And I'd say, Mama, you can't say things like that. That hurts people's feelings. Well, I'm just saying what's on my mind. That's just the way I am. I said, that's all right if you wasn't saved. But see, once you get saved, Jesus gives you a new mind. Huh? I mean, you, you, you need to walk according to his will, according to his love. I don't care how negative you are, how pessimistic your brain is. When you come to know Jesus Christ, he gives you a new mindset. Verse 11 says, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, longsuffering, with joyfulness. Wow. This word glorious power here is the word we get our word dynamite from. Greek word dunamis. Hmm. See, once I know Jesus, I don't have to go on seeking power anymore. I've already got all power. I'll hear people say, you know, especially back here several years ago, Brother Dale, when the revival was going down here at Brownsville in Florida, people would say, Preacher, we're going down there. We're going to get a little bit of that and bring it back. I said, what are you going to bring back, the arm or the leg or the ankle or the, you know, what, what are you going to bring back? Listen to me. You don't waltz down to Florida and get a little touch of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. You either have him or you don't have him. And if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. You can't get no more of him. We don't need another Pentecost. Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came. He's already here. What we need is a new filling. And I'm going to be honest with you, the only way to get a filling is to get rid of the junk in our life. He cannot fill a vessel that's already full of self. You've got to get rid of it. Well, you say, preacher, I, I, I want to pray. I want to, I want to move mountains. I want to have the faith to move mountains. I'd be satisfied if you had the faith to just clean up some of your attitude. He gives three words here. Boy, they're tough. One of them is patience. Now, we miss this word patience. Uh, because what patience is, is bearing up under affliction. Some people think patience means that I'm going to sit over here and let somebody run over me. That's not what patience means. Patience means that when you're under affliction, you continue to bear up. You've got patience. You're impatient. I talked with a little lady Friday morning, 83 years old. I sat there. I had to go outside because I was started crying because she's lost everything. She has nobody, and uh, she can't even get around. And I said, ma'am, I, I don't even know how to start. I don't even know how to start. 
I mean, I don't know what it would be like to lose everything. I mean, she had old pictures laid out there, and they were all ruined, and all of her furniture's ruined, her clothes are ruined, molds just everywhere, just a steep in that place. She looked at me, and she said, Oh, I, I hadn't lost everything. I've still got Jesus. My soul in sad exile. How we focus on the things that don't. Listen, she has patience. She's bearing up under the affliction that is within her. She's got patience. And God is building something there. And I'm telling you, she's made up her mind that no hurricane's going to defeat her. Not going to happen. He uses that word patient. Then he uses the word long-suffering. <laughs> now, patience is dealing with affliction. Long-suffering is dealing with people. Lord, help me, Jesus. Mm. One thing, I have difficult circumstances. That takes a lot of patience. But boy, when you're dealing with people, that takes the Holy Spirit of God. I can just tell you. <laughs> Say, preacher, I can jump pews. Yeah, but I can't deal with difficult people. You, that's the long-suffering. Long-suffering means we're not driven to bitterness. Don't get around and, and get bitter over the way somebody treated you. Long-suffering means we're not driven to cruelty. You hear somebody say, I've had a belly full of this. I'm taking all I'm going to take. I'm not going to take any more. I've never hit anybody yet. <laughs> I've said some things that I've truly regretted. I, I've imagined some things I've truly regretted. I'm just trying to tell you as a church, it's going to take all the power of the Holy Spirit within each one of us to live like God wants us to live. We're not going to be able to do it apart from the Holy Spirit of God. It's not going to happen. Patience, long-suffering, and then that last word, joy. The number one thief of joy is difficult people. The number one thief. But God give us the power. Dr. Charles Stanley, in one of his books, wrote this. There's three things your enemy cannot take away from you. Number one, they cannot take away your love. Number two, they cannot take away your prayers. And number three, they cannot take away your silence. God give us the power sometimes just to hold our tongues. Just to be quiet. Just to be quiet. Let me give you the fourth asset here that's here. They just get better and better. The fourth asset is of a disciple is eternal wealth. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, he made us meet. Some of your ver versions will say he qualified us. That means, how did he qualify us? Well, he died on Calvary for our sins. And he saved us. Therefore, he's given us meat or he's qualified us in order to be uh, 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 saints and, and brothers and sisters with him. You see, Jesus is the light. When we got saved, we became the light. We're born again. As a newborn child, we're born into the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, that's not the best part. That's good part. My soul, that's good. I don't know how you can say best or better or whatever. But I want to tell you the best part to me not only were we born as a newborn baby into the kingdom of God, but we were adopted as an adult son into the kingdom of God. Now, the Romans understood this when Paul's talking to them. Because when a Roman adopted someone, number one, first thing, they, they lost their last name. 
they got a new name. Second thing happened when they adopted, <laughs> they lost all of their debts. All their debts were wiped clean. And they got inheritance to the new family that adopted them. Does this not sound like what we got in Jesus? I mean, when he saved us, do, do you know you were on the auction block with the devil? And he had control of you? And Jesus came through and ransomed you and paid your debt. Gave you a new name. Wiped your old sins away. And set you up in an inheritance of wealth. Wow. Eternal life we got. Peace of God. Peace with God. Righteousness. Abundant life. Glorified body. The present power to overcome. Wow. Just think this morning, you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. That's enough to rejoice over. You're a rich man. Instead of going around looking for something else, why don't you just fall in love with Jesus and understand what you've got with him? Let me give you a couple of more assets. The fifth one is deliverance. Delivered from the power of darkness. He conveyed us or he translated us. It talks about a complete change, taking from one place and putting you in another place. You see, we were living in darkness, but he translated us into light. We were a child of the devil, but he made us a child of the king. We were a spiritual beggar, but now we're sitting at the king's table. We once was lost, but now we're fine. We once was blind, but now we can see. And I want to tell you this morning, I don't care what's holding you back. It could be cocaine. It could be alcohol. It could be your mother-in-law. It could be pornography. It could be lust, worry, fear, hidden sin. I'm telling you here this morning as authority of the word of God and an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Christ, you are delivered. That's what the Word of God says. You're not going to be delivered. You are delivered. That's the kind of inheritance we've got. Wow. Deliverance. Let me give you this last one. I'm through. Redemption. Redemption by the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> wow. Redemption here means to buy back. Saved from captivity. The devil owned us. We were chained to him. But Jesus bought us back. And once we put our faith in him, our debts have been paid. It's finished. The bill has been stamped, paid in full. You've been redeemed. Look, look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption. Now, first of all, there's a remitting of the penalty. The penalty that we were under was hell. But he has remitted that. He has wiped that away. Then look at the removal of the condemnation. Uh, he said, whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Why do you want to sit around and condemn yourself? If you've been saved, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't sit around and condemn yourself. Jesus has redeemed you. You're redeemed. God is blessed. Why not? Accept the freedom. Shake off the shackles of the devil. And then, verse 12, he says he sends our sins away. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Literally, he says your sins have been 
sent away. The only way you can be qualified is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's qualified you this morning. He's rescued you. He's made you a children of light and of life. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's given us heaven in the future. But let me tell you what else. He's given us victory in the present. Yeah, heaven's going to be sweet, but I want to tell you, there's victory here. Victory can be sweet too. Fritz Chrysler was a world-famous violinist, earned a fortune with his concerts, multimillionaire. But he was so generous that he gave almost all of it away. Just literally just wanted to be a blessing. He just gave and gave and gave. He discovered on one of his trips uh, an exquisite violin. He really wanted it, but he didn't have enough money to buy it. So he went back home and did some more concerts and all, and he raised enough money to meet the asking price. He returned to the cellar. To his dismay, someone had already bought the violin. They told him who it was. It was a collector, and so he went his way to the new owner's home, and he offered to buy the violin, but the owner of the violin said, No, I, I, uh, it, it's a prized possession, and I wouldn't sell it at any price. No price. No price. So he was about to leave when he, he asked the owner, he said, could, could I just ask one favor? Would you let me play that just one time before you put it into complete silence? He said, yeah, yeah. Chrysler took that violin, that instrument. Boy, he began to play that thing. Boy, the, the, man, the, the fill the room with such heartwarming, moving music. The collector's emotions were stirred. He looked over at Chrysler, and he said, I have no right to keep that to myself. You take it. It's yours. You take it. You listen. Come in here close and listen. If you've been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've been redeemed, you have no right to keep that to yourself. There are hurting people all over this area and all over this world. And they need somebody to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I, ah, I can't do that. Well, then undoubtedly nothing's ever happened to you. Because see, all testimony is is telling somebody what God did for you. I mean, I can, I can tell you what my experience with, with Bluebell ice cream eating that tin roof is. I can describe it point by point. Or a good chocolate frosty from Wendy's. I can, give you, I can give you point by point. And if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, all you need to do is tell folks what Jesus did for you. That's it. See, you don't have a right to hold it in. That's not your right. You, you don't have a right. What if somebody would have held it in from you and never told you about it? I'm asking you this morning. We're fixing to have an invitation. I'm asking you don't get up and leave. We got, I know some of you need to get out early, and I've seen you drive. You really do. But, but there's announcements after this, and you can leave during that time. But during this invitation time, I'm going to ask every child of God, would you fall fresh on your face before God and say, God, would you touch this auditorium this morning? Would you manifest your presence in this place today? 
There are people in this place that need Jesus Christ. If they walk out of here today, they may never have another opportunity to be saved. There are others that need their families put back together. They need a church home. I'm asking you as a congregation, let's make this the most important time of this entire service right now. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity you give us one more time to publicly declare our allegiance and our salvation to Jesus Christ. Lord, you know every heart that's in this place today. God, would you speak to us? And then may we be willing to take courage and not be ashamed of you. But may we be willing to stand up and say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today for those that may need a church home. God, if this is where you've led them to come, Lord, would they come and plant their life and be like a giant redwood tree that's going to grow and prosper and reach to the sky and be a testimony for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for those in this building today who are going through marital problems, relationship problems, maybe they've got a, just some sin that just does not want to let them go. Lord, I claim the power in the name of Jesus that you'll deliver them today, that they'll be set free that for once they can walk out of this building and say, I've, I've done what Jesus asked me to do, and I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Lord, have your way in these next moments in Jesus' name. As we stand together.